0: everyone. I'm Mana Mostatabi and welcome to a very special election episode of NiaCast. I've got some fabulous guests with me today. We're joined by Representative Ana Eskamani, an Orlando native, the Florida House of Representative from the 47th District in Orange County, and the first ever Iranian-American to be elected to the Florida legislature. And I'd like to add she's probably the future governor of the somewhat great state of Florida. Uh, we also have Happy Valley Councilor David Amami, a lifelong Oregonian who in March 2019 became the first ever Iranian-American to serve on a city council in Oregon. And last but not least, we have Dr. Nazita Lajavadi, an assistant professor in the Department of Political Science at Michigan State University, whose work focuses mainly on issues related to race and ethnic politics, political behavior, voting rights, and immigration. So welcome, everybody. Um, before we do a deep dive into elections and politics and how our culture and heritage sort of plays into uh, how we engage, how we engage civically here in this country, I kind of want to just ask, uh, how's everybody doing?
1: Whew. Tired, tired, but but ready, because we got a lot to do in these next couple of days, but um... But, yeah, it's definitely exhausting. I mean, we have been working nonstop, you know, for years now, especially um, when it comes to issues that impact Iranian Americans and dealing with President Trump's um, just unplanned foreign policy tactics. And then um, with the pandemic right now, I know for my work here in Florida— we're just responding 24/7 to unemployment claims and uh, eviction notices and trying to do our best to support everyone with very limited resources and a government designed to fail so we're uh, we're balancing a lot right now
0: for those of you who don't follow on on Twitter, you definitely should, because I don't think I've ever seen a politician take such a hands-on approach to taking care of her people, um, crowdsourcing, fundraising for people who need to be put up in hotels, or, you know, she's following up on, like, unemployment claims. I have truly never seen anyone so hands-on, so follow her on Twitter. We'll put everyone's Twitter in the uh, podcast description later. Uh, David, how are you doing?
2: Yeah, and I uh, appreciate everything Anna said. It's this is my first real campaign. I've helped with many campaigns before. I've helped pass levies and all that, but this is my first time on the campaign trail. And I'll tell you what, uh, mad respect to uh, to Anna and everyone else who's run before. It is it is wild out there right now uh, to be a candidate in twenty twenty to be iranian American. And to be trying to represent everyone in your community, kind of bring everyone up with you. It's just been it's been a real eye opening experience it's Been a lot of fun, but it's been a lot of hard work. And and with the pandemic thrown in the mix, the, the uh, fragmented divide that we have in our country happening right now, it's just a very, very um challenging time and also very it's, it's going to be a time we're all going to look back several years down the road and, and remember this moment you know every election is always important of course every time we're in an election cycle people say this is the most election of our important election of our lives but but really 2020 has been quite a doozy for all of us so <laughs> I think that that this uh the results for this election all across the country, whether it be, you know, from the president to, to state reps, to city council, the school board, a lot of these elections are going to have a huge impact in our lives. So I'm, I'm proud to be a part of it. And uh, it's definitely been an experience that I'll remember forever.
0: Love that.
3: Nazita, how about you? Uh, you know, I think uh, like Ana and David, I'm, I'm also very exhausted. I come at this from the perspective of an educator. So I, I'm with college students, uh, and graduate students and I'm in the academic world and I am seeing the disproportionate impact that the pandemic is having on the lives of young voters and the youth. And I see displacement of, um, some of the most energized, but also the most affected people in this country, both by the pandemic and also by Trump's policies. And so, um, what I, what I've seen is, is a devastation, um, of, of these kids' lives. A lot of them have been rendered homeless. Um, they do not have permanent addresses. They do not have places where they can actually physically register to vote because from one week to the next, they have nowhere to live. Um, their entire lives were uprooted in the spring and they were uprooted again in the fall and they likely will be, um, disturbed again in the spring. And I think that not enough of us are paying attention to the young uh, voters out there and to the youth. And um, the kids are not all right. You know, there's severe mental health problems. There's severe financial problems. Their education is being affected. And, um, you know, I think as we we move along and, you know, we complete this sprint, I don't think it's a marathon anymore. I think it's a sprint. Um, as, as we move forward, I, you know, I think all of us should, should keep them in mind.
0: That's uh, that's heavy, but that's, I mean, it's, I think that's a great perspective. And we know that young voters are key in this election. And so I think that actually, you know, I'm, I'm wondering, and I pose this to all three of you, I mean, has the pandemic, how has it impacted, do you think, uh, civic engagement, particularly among our own community? Um, you know, I think that with Iranian Americans, we're kind of a special group. And I think, you know, there's a there's a generational divide oftentimes in how folks will engage civically. Um but I'm curious to see um or to hear from all of you about, do you think this has impacted it negatively, positively? How has campaigning and outreach changed? Um and do you feel like, you know we're at a place where there's an increase in mobilization, given, everything, you know, the stakes essentially, or are people backing away?
2: Can I I take this one first? Um, So the reason why I wanted to take it first is, is out in Oregon, we have vote by mail. We've always, we were one of the first states to have vote by mail, if not the first. And so here we are in the, in the pandemic and we're still able to vote by mail and people are voting so early right now. It is like, eight to 10 times the amount uh, compared to the previous years as far as people turning in their ballots early. And it's been, it's been so interesting to watch. I personally being a lifelong Oregonian, I don't know what it's like to wait in line at, you know, at a ballot booth or box or fill out. I mean, it's always been, you know, at the leisure of your own home and you can fill it out and and send it in and um, no postage required. Like it's been really easy over here. Uh, The one thing, that's been really challenging when it comes to campaigning, especially running my very first campaign. Is we're not knocking on any doors. That's that's something that I decided to do in my campaign early. Um, just here in Oregon, our numbers are not going down. They're they're very high compared to the rest of the country, and so it's really hard to get the word out to get the the message out about who you are and what you're about and and what your message is. So we've had to rely a lot on mailers, social media, um, and you know, obviously loaded pamphlet, but. Uh, we're still out there actively leaving door hangers, but we, it's, you know, the, the one opportunity to really engage with the voters isn't there for us, at least here. And it's been really tough, especially being a newer candidate. Um, you know, it's been it's been a little challenging for me. So I'm I'm glad that we are still able to participate with, with the voting by mail. And, and I'm really curious to hear how it is in other, uh, in other states. I don't, I have no, no idea how it is out there, um, where you're at, but, um, this is something that we're always used to. So now to, to see vote by mail be kind of a hot topic all over the news, it's, it's weird for us because we've been doing this forever. So.
1: There definitely, there definitely has been a new level of engagement from Iranian Americans across the country Obviously, in Florida, we're not the state with um, with the largest Iranian-American community. I mean, I think many folks assume that in my district here in Central Florida, um, that I have a large Iranian-American community, which is how we flip the seat. But in reality, my district here is actually um, majority white. We have folks who've been in Orlando um, their entire lives, generations of Orlandonians, if you will. Um, And of course, we have folks that have immigrant backgrounds or folks that come from Puerto Rico. Um, And so for... But it's been really, really exciting because many Iranian-Americans have come to our campaign looking to get engaged, who initially had no background in politics. I mean, I think of one of our first interns in 2018. Her name is Sunny. And Sunny is a student at Rollins College, which is a small liberal arts college um, in my district. And so Sunny, like many young Iranian-Americans, you know, was studying medicine and science, hard sciences and those type of elements. Um, and then volunteered, in intern on our campaign, was honored with our team from the beginning till the, to to victory night. And she has since then, she switched her major into uh, pre-law political science and, you know, wants to run for office one day, wants to be a lawyer for women's and girls issues. Um, and so I think those are some of the shifts that we're seeing in more Iranian Americans, especially younger Iranian Americans, finding a, a path to civics, getting engaged in different ways. Um, and that's and she's not the only one. Layla is another one of our um, high school students, actually, not in my district. Um, she's a county over, but her her parents have been very engaged with our campaign, and and she's interned with us both at the campaign level and with our legislative office. Um, we have so many incredible Iranian American interns who find us um, at FSU and at UCF and at Rollins, and it's really, really, it's it's so fulfilling because. We need more Iranian Americans to get plugged into politics, even if it's not going to be a full-time career for you. I think it's so essential that folks realize their power in the process. And if you don't get involved, if you don't vote or support candidates or support issues, the decisions are going to be made that impact you and the things you care about with you not at the table. And I think back to the Muslim ban, you know, when that came down, the January, you know, of of 2017, it was one of President Trump's like first executive orders. Um, Just the amount of outrage, you know, from members of the Iranian American community, and and the rapid response work we had to do to support those that are being detained and to ensure that President Trump was held accountable for his actions. It would have been a lot easier if we were already organized, and I think that's a lesson learned that has led to many more Iranian Americans getting involved now versus waiting for the next crisis to happen.
0: So actually, that's, I guess, part of my question. And Nazita, I think you probably can speak to this much better than I can, but it seems like our community is very, like, issue-driven, which puts us at a disadvantage um, because we care really hard for a few weeks about a particular issue and then it falls off. So we're never really prepared Uh, when the next issue comes up. And I'm wondering, what are the barriers to political engagement for us? Like, I know even when we speak, you know, Persian with our parents, the word "siyasi" is like a dirty word. And I'm wondering, like, is this, you know, sort of a leftover political trauma from having grown up and then immigrated from, you know, a somewhat oppressive government? Is it that there's a lack of education? I, you know, what is it that's keeping us from...
3: Yeah, I just I want to say that um, I I I think that uh, Anna really hit the nail on the head there with the Muslim ban. I, I think I think you're absolutely right. That was an issue area that saw a, a spur to action. Um, so I think that um, David also mentioned, and I think you did as well, about a generational divide, and I think that's really important to take um, take into account here. There's an acculturation that happens when you're born in this country and when you grow up in this country. And you know what it's like to be mistreated, right? So something that a lot of our immigrant parents have not experienced is being able to feel like a real American, is to be able to say, like, this is our country. And I took an oath, you know, myself as an attorney, I've taken an oath to uphold the Constitution, and I believe in that. And so I have a stake in this country. I'm not just an immigrant. This is my home, and I do have claims here. And I think that that creates a different positionality for those of us who are of a different generation and who are natural-born citizens because we have an attachment to this place, especially because many of us don't have the same attachment to Iran because of whatever reason, but we haven't been able to be able to go back and forth. So our investment in this country is not just issue-based. Our investment in this country is across ideology. It's across a range of issues. It's domestic and foreign policy you can't see the same thing with the elderly population and even our parents generation. It's just, it's not the same. Um, they have attachments and, um, they have issue areas that perhaps it's a result of trauma. We don't, you know, it varies of course, depending on what group they belong to and when they immigrated. But, um, what I've seen myself throughout this, um, pandemic era and throughout this election, I mean, one of the, the unfortunate, Um, one of the most unfortunate parts of the pandemic occurring during such a pivotal election year is the spread of misinformation and the fact that misinformation we've seen in scholarship is being communicated to immigrant populations and folks who have hurt English second language learners at disproportionate rates and it's not being corrected. And so our grandparents, um, our relatives, folks who don't speak English well, who still consume um, information especially political sociopolitical information in Farsi they are getting exposed to misinformation without opportunities for correction and so I think that um, you see it's very interesting this generational divide of a mobilization um, uh, wave among younger Iranians and a demobilization wave among older Iranians and I think a lot of this is about misinformation it's also about acculturation and the stake that we have in this country.
1: Well, and one thing I, I want to add to that, too, is like such a, a lack of understanding of the politics within Iran. And, you know, there's so many assumptions about what's happening with within Iran, mostly driven also by by our president Trump's administration, which is like a propaganda machine. Right. And 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 it's it's frustrating because I think so many folks make assumptions about what's happening in Iran or about the Iranian people. And it's like, there's there's a reason why there's such a world of research about iran because it's incredibly complex and and you can't you you know every action has a reaction and and you can try to predict as much as possible but you also don't don't really know because just like with this country nothing is predictable we don't know what's going to happen november 3rd there's no way we know and our politics are incredibly complex so the assumption that Another country's politics are black and white. It's like, oh my gosh, how naive, you know? And and unfortunately, that's because there just there isn't the intentional effort to uh, put yourself in other people's shoes. It, it's very much a, a part of American identity has for a long time been individualism, right? So it's you're very much centered on we are we're the we're our perspective is the is the one that sets everything else, and that's just not the reality of it, right? And so um, I always get frustrated by just a lack of effort to even understand how complex other other political landscapes are um and if and we need to be very thoughtful that when making decisions as a nation of what those repercussions could look like whether it's iran iraq saudi arabia i mean all these countries right and 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 i think sometimes we just especially recently we act so irrationally and and without thought to those those ripple effects
2: I think one thing also to add is so I'm 37 years old and literally since I have been born, uh, iran is always the hot topic every four years every four years i don't think we've i've since i've been alive come election time iran is the hot topic at every debate whether it was george bush bill clinton Barack obama donald trump does not matter it seems like we're always in the news and i think the um the miss i mean the, the history of uh, between iran and america is so complex but on top of that i think that uh the average people who don't have any ties to iran uh, there's there's a, a a misunderstanding between the difference between the Iranian people and the Iranian government. And I think that, that misunderstanding, uh, coupled with social media and the news and, and false narratives, I just feel like it's a, it's a, snowball that, um, this is getting, it's getting too big. So it, it makes it really challenging, uh, when, for, for our generations as whether they be older or younger to, to have a, a one voice. And then on top of that, you know, when it comes to the census, we're not, I mean, we're really hard to count. We are a very hard group to count i know that was a big that's a big deal for me i think it's a big deal for everyone um you know it's really hard to identify how many iranian americans are there in america and without having a firm grasp on how many we have i mean we can estimate uh i think until then we're going to continue to be underrepresented unless more people get involved and that's why i'm so grateful to be here with all of you today because i know we're all taking the actions that are necessary and you know the younger generations i'm like the old millennial technically but like the younger generations are um they're motivated and they're doing this and, they, and now they're living through it the first time they're watching debates and they're seeing iran on there and they're like well i've been to iran i went there with my family and i have family over there and and it's just the, the foreign policy matters are so impactful to our lives especially if we have family there so come come election time no matter what happens whether it's trump or biden i mean Iran is going to be the future relationship for any Iranian in America is going to be impacted. So I do think it's really important that, that we are involved. And, you know, one other thing that was mentioned was, was barriers that are that are out there for our community. Um, you know, I'll give you a great example. I'm a, a lifelong Oregonian. Uh, I don't have an accident. And yet when I was appointed, that's how I became a city councilor you know, obviously got tons of support from my, from my community, my city, but you start making it on, you know, your, your, the big newspaper and there's your picture and all that. And you read the comments and, and people are, you know, is he an American citizen? You know, is he going to bring Sharia law to Happy Valley? You know, just like, the, you know, oh, is he a spy? All this crazy stuff that you see on there. It's like, no, guys, I grew up uh, just outside of Portland and I'm a dad and I have two daughters and a little dog and you know, a beautiful wife. And I'm, I'm a normal dude. And, uh, you know, those those situations, I'm sure Anna's probably dealt with with some of this. But, you know, other people Uh, Don't have to go through that. My fellow city councilors, they're all, you know, Caucasian. They they don't have to go through that. They get appointed and there's, you know, congratulations and that's it. Or they get they win an election. But for us, it's there's so much other baggage that kind of comes with it. And I do take this role very responsibly because I know that we are dispelling stereotypes with every action we take. And so by leading leading by example, you know, these younger generations can can see. All right, this guy's done it. And and even if we're not even if they're not even Iranian, I've had Indian people, um, Vietnamese people, all kinds of people who same, same. Yeah, are and, and, and so you know it's it's a big responsibility because we know if we come out and, and mess this up, we mess it up for future generations. But right, I think having more of us get involved will domino effect in future generations will get involved as well.
1: Absolutely. And just an example to that too, David, when the when the Washington Post and seen and reported that the US government thinks Iran and Russia are were involved yeah. in those yeah. emails. Literally, somebody on Facebook commented about it. Oh, is that Anna Eskimani's party? Yeah. <laughs> it was just like unbelievable. Yeah. Like if I went to Iran, if I went to Iran right now, my last time in Iran was 2006 and i brought my mom's ashes to iran that was my first visit ever when she passed away uh, when i was 13 and i've we have tons of family in iran but i've not been back in like over a decade and if i were to go right now i would be arrested like it's just so frustrating because it's like y'all just don't even get it like you and you're not even trying to you just want to throw you know these um racist comments around xenophobic comments around and it's like to your point, like, I am born and raised in Orlando. This is my home, you know, and these accusations of uh, of having ties to the Islamic Republic of Iran and, like, you know, tying you to terrorism, it's like, it is so, I'm so over it. I'm so over it. And it's such a reflection of just, of, A, you know, a, a personal political agenda, and B, misinformation and and really libel and slander. Like, you're literally making things up that, by the way— could endanger my life and also endanger other brown folks across this country, and this is not okay.
2: Yeah, I agree with you that that article that that just came out. I, when I the moment I saw that, can I swear on this podcast, Amanda, Or Am I am I allowed? To, Absolutely. When I, saw it, yes. when, I, when I saw it, the first all that I saw, I just said shit. You know, I read that. That's all I can say is like, God, you know, come on, because you know that you're going to get some some flack. And it's so ridiculous because all I all I am trying to do is a volunteer unpaid position. Might I add that I even voted against us getting paid. I had the opportunity like this is I'm doing this to really help make my city a better place. I, I love where I'm at. And. And so, you know, when you see those articles come out and, you know, you can't help but shake your head and, and, and wonder what's going to be coming your way. But, you know, in the face of adversity, I mean, all it does is make us stronger. And so we can we can only can in, in, uh, lead by example and and do our part to, to dispel those. But it's very, it is, it's an added challenge. And I would say like a speed bump that I don't believe people from other countries go through as much as we do. I mean, honestly, in America, I think Iran might be like the main, I mean, was like Iran, Venezuela, Cuba. Like, there's a handful of countries, but I think Iran might be like that one, um, one country where people hear it and they also get taken back. But you know, if I say I'm Persian, it's like, oh, that's cool. Tell me more. So, you know, it's that, yeah, exactly. So, anyway, it's it's just uh, it's, it's a really it's a unique position to be in. But um, I think that we continue to lead by example, and, and more people feel empowered all seeing people like us represent them.
0: That's awesome. I mean, I think you guys brought up two very good points. Uh, the allegations of dual loyalty, I think have it's just been rampant. I think any Iranian American who in any capacity criticizes the Trump administration's policies is somehow pegged as not American. I have the federal student loans to prove that I am very much an American, that way. <laughs> okay? But, we, I mean, I think it's, you know, we have to also remember that in a lot of ways, this is this administration is an anomaly. We're seeing Voice of America become this, like, propaganda machine. We're seeing the State Department itself attacking academics, journalists, civil society, uh, you know, uh, activists. Um, it's it sort of reached a breaking point, and I guess I hadn't thought that, you know this you know it's not just historical barriers but it's present barriers there are these layers that have been added on that scare us in a completely different way um so yeah i yeah i guess it's pretty you know, heavy. I
3: think- It's very heavy. And I think that as you consider, you know, another four years of this administration, and I guess I would urge your listeners and and all Iranian Americans to think, you know, one of the main immigration policies set forth by the Trump administration right now, I mean, there is the, the, it's been now coined the Muslim ban, but it was a travel ban. Um, Putting that aside for a moment, right, there is a prop, there is an order actually uh, to essentially limit any iranian who wants to come here to study for only a two-year visa and we have to think about how many iranians who have successful lives here who have come here and have you know devoted their lives to this country and who've raised american kids and who themselves have become americans how many they how many of them came over as students you know and to to deny a the citizens of a of a country, just because of their national origin, the right to an education just, it, it borders on a human rights violation. And I think we need to pay very close attention to that.
1: I so agree. I mean, this administration, it, they branded themselves over attacking undocumented people, right? Like that that was build a wall, you know, using really ugly rhetoric about immigrants who don't have status. The Trump administration is quite literally attacking any and all immigrant, i mean international students and that same order as you know includes reporters as well and i've been getting i'm a state house rep and i've been getting emails from international journalists asking what does this mean for me and 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 these are folks that go through the process i mean it's very difficult to get a student visa especially in iran and and to now restrict these students ability to seek a new life and to and, and to add to our research and to add to our economy, I mean, the reality is that international students, they, they actually subsidize the cost of education for others because they pay so much more to study at an American university compared to in-state tuition. And here this administration is, days before an election, attacking international students, folks who go through the legal process, pay money to come yeah. to this country. Um, it is it is, it is shameful. And, and yeah, I- to... to think about that. Take that consideration when you're
3: going in the polls. And just quickly, I don't have the kind of anecdotes that David and Anna have, but as an educator, I do get um, people who write me and say, can I, you know, do a PhD in the department? And I've had a number of people from Iran write me recently and say, you know, can, how do how do we get into the department? Like, how, what do we do? And it's like, I don't right. know. I don't know what's, right it's tenuous as it is, my international students in China and in Mexico have had to stay there during the pandemic, you know, and take online classes with the threat of not having their funding. And, and this is just a very nebulous time, I think, um, for, as as you said, on education and immigrant immigrants, it's, Yeah, uh, it's very disconcerting.
0: As a reminder to everyone, uh, Joe Biden did pledge to repeal the Muslim ban on day one, so, if we are just going to be single-issue voters for some reason, I really urge our community to think through that one. Right. Um, so, I want to sort of shift a little bit. You know, I think when people think of civic engagement, they mostly think voting or filling out the census, but I don't think it stops there. In fact, maybe it just starts there. So, I was wondering if we can sort of explore what civic engagement is actually means and what that looks like. I think, you know, for my parents, oftentimes in Iran, what that means is taking food to the orphanage or, you know, you donate money. And so it's a lot more sort of like service oriented. Um, But I mean, what do you and how, you know, how does our how can we sort of capitalize on the service oriented nature of Iranian culture to bring that out here? Oh, my gosh.
1: Iranians and Iranian-Americans are some of the most giving people you'll ever meet. That's
3: you know, true.
1: When I, when I think about my mom and and the years I had with her on this earth, uh, I mean, oh, she was so selfless with everything she did. And, and so I think it is that giving nature that, first of all, makes us the best public servants. Because <laughs> all we do is give and give and give. And we don't. You know, it's honestly a challenging part of our culture, right? On, but like, that's who we are. Like we just, we offer, we offer, we offer, we offer. Um, and so I think that can take shape in a lot of ways. I mean, definitely considering um, um, not just voting, but in addition to voting, how do you support a Canada issue that you care about um, to volunteer, to help amplify? Um, we've seen more Iranian Americans and Iranians get involved um, here, in, here in the United States, with fundraising and things like that you know kind of flexing their their muscles um that they've always exercised with charities but now exercising it in like political spaces um but just you know deal with that expectation I think is the biggest thing you just you just and, and maintain those relationships you know I, so many ta- so many times I, I remember when I was with the Iranian student organization back at UCF my sister and I were president and vice president of the organization My senior year in college, when we were first getting involved with ISO, it was a space for Iranians to be Iranian. Like we would drink chai, we played bad like it was, it was just like a social club and we made it into a human rights organization. It was in the 2009 with the green movement in Iran. And so we were wearing green wristbands. I, I wore a green wristband for like two years. I mean, we were like committed to fighting for democracy in Iran and, and so we, you know, so... The, the club started seeing new members started seeing members that were not Iranian or maybe folks who identified as as part Iranian Folks who didn't speak Persian, but could still welcome be welcome in the space and and I and I think that's that's so important because we can't just Hang in our communities, right? Like we need to Welcome other people to our spaces and go to their spaces as well and demonstrate solidarity on 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 collective issues that impact all of us and and so I, I think that um, all those elements are something for Iranian Americans to con- con- consider pursuing and to, to really just you know build your village, build out your village, and, and and welcome more people into the space.
2: And something Anna touched on that I think is is very relevant is, is the giving nature of Iranians. Are we like, like, We I mean, you go to any Iranian household and you're going to sit down and you're going to at least plan on gaining four pounds of watermelon and cucumbers and and whatever, <laughs> like for people who don't know, like if you go to an Iranian household, you will just be offered and offered and offered food until you finally just say yes. And, you know, it's just the way we are. And so that, you know, that, that culture is so ingrained in us. My little seven year old daughter somehow has it. I don't even, you know, and um, that, that does make us very, very, it's just natural, um, you know, public servants. It, it really does. And, you know, you, you if you watch any of these documentaries or any of these shows, Anthony Bourdain um, or Rick Steves, when they travel, the one thing that everyone always comes back with is, the most surprising place I've ever been is Iran because the people there are so kind and hospitable. The most, you know, it's just never fails. And so, you know, we, we do have a giving nature and it's just something that must've been, you know, part of our culture for the thousands of years. And, um, and you know, as far as here here in in America, it doesn't matter what state you're in or what city you're in. There are ways to to be involved, and and whether it's you know serve uh, volunteering to be on a committee, you know, uh, you are volunteering at your PTA, at your kids' school, at a fundraiser, your local Rotary Club. Like there are so many different ways that people can be involved, and I think that it's just a matter of of learning uh, where those where those volunteer opportunities are you know had uh, i got involved in happy valley politics i was very involved in high school i was in key club and diversity club and all these different things but but i didn't get involved in city politics until they started building a gigantic development right next to my house and then i started saying okay i guess i should go to these planning commission meetings and city council meetings and that led to me going to design review board meetings and then ultimately i got on the parks advisory committee and then the planning commission and then city council like it's kind of a, a domino effect but You know, had I not had that, who knows if I would be sitting here right now, you know, talking with all of us. So uh, sometimes you're you're accidentally kind of thrust into to a scene like this. But um, I think it's also up to people like us to bring our community with us. You know, now that uh, I mean, ana has got a, a huge network of young people that she's helped bringing up, and and I'm trying to work work on that as well. And it's it's up to us when we when we see someone that that shows an interest in wanting to volunteer, is to provide them with those resources and help bring them to the table. I think it's awful. It's a it's a little scary sometimes, or um, overwhelming for certain people, or um, you know, it it just foreign. You know, to to come to a committee or try to volunteer or get involved when you don't have somebody else kind of help showing you the ropes. And so I think we need to leverage these positions that we are in to help people that traditionally wouldn't be involved by by bringing them with us. And, and it's really easy. But because we have have not really been as involved as a, as a community for all these years, I think we, we've got a little catch up to do. So it's really important that that right now we kind of seize the moment while we do have people involved and interested and paying attention, and and we try to turn that into action. And I think that's all we can really do right now. But it's um, it, it there's definitely opportunities out there, and and it's just a matter of people finding. It.
3: I, you know I, I think these are wonderful examples and I think there are so many ways in which uh, Iranian Americans can can find ways to be involved and, and David and anna have have listed numerous ways I just i'd like to point out right there is a reason why it's a bit hard to learn how to do this there's a lot of costs in learning how a different society functions and when you don't have role models and you don't have people in your family who actively do these types of things or you're not as integrated into a community especially as like the kids of immigrants or immigrants yourselves these are hard things to learn. And so there is a really high cost to this. And I think we need to acknowledge that, that, that sometimes you don't have ideas. And so these, this is the purpose of a podcast like this. This is the purpose of these spaces is, is to get ideas. Um, if, if you haven't read it, I, I highly suggest Neda Marbula's book, the limits of whiteness. Um, This book is remarkable. It it really speaks to the experiences of Iranian Americans, and especially for um, the generation that all of us belong to, right, who are the kids of of immigrants, basically, and who grew up here. And it talks a lot about the alliances that Iranians have to make with other kids of color in school. We're often told by our parents, but we're not white. And we are not treated as white in this country. And it was important, I think, for us as a generation to find um, a group of people of color, to find allies, to find a space, to be able to redefine our racial identities and our belonging in this country and find space here. And I think that in doing so, you know, now this generation is role modeling for the next. And I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of these types of discussions that are often hard to have. Um, but there's uh, amazing groups of people and role models like David and Anna and Neda um, that we, we can look up to, I think as, as, a, as a community. That's lovely.
0: I have to say really quick that I think this is the most uplifting conversation about an election I've had in ever. Oh. Uh, (laughs) I was like, it's been such doom and gloom. And, you know, I wanted to say like, when we were going to wrap up, I was going to be like, okay, everybody end with something inspiring, but just listening to all three of you speak, I feel inspired. And I hope you guys know, you know, being able to, Nazita, for example, like being able to explain the context within which our community operates is huge Um, why we don't engage, what's preventing us from engaging. And Anna, and David, you guys are living it. Um, And that's really why I wanted to bring the three of you together. I think, um, you know, being able to break down what civic engagement looks like, knowing it's not just running for office and it doesn't end at the ballot box is huge. And, you know, I feel like, you know, our parents are still voting you know, my mom registered or became a citizen just so she could vote for Obama. Um, You know, I think my mom, I brag about her on this podcast all the time. Hi, mom. Uh, But, you know, she, when the Muslim ban, everyone's waving, you guys can't see it. Um, But, you know, when the Muslim ban went into effect, my mom started wearing a hijab out of spite. And we, yeah, I know. And we, I grew up in a super white, small, it's one of those towns where everyone is, uh, socially liberal, fiscally conservative, you know, uh, but she, she organized in Are you from of- Orange County
3: too, or
0: no. <laughs> I'm from the Bay area. I'm from the Bay area. We've
2: you're got at home, we've got at home on, on like a lot, I think for a lot of our communities, that was, uh,
0: yeah, <laughs> it's very relatable. <laughs> okay, good. I'm glad that everyone feels this. Uh, but you know, she was, she was protesting outside of the Safeway, Uh, and people would slowly join her, more and more people every day. And, you know, by the end, it was so cute. People were bringing their, like, designer dogs dressed in, like, protest shirts. Like, it was, I mean, it was was very specific to that community, let me put it that way. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I just, I'm wondering, like, what can we do to keep our parents involved? Or, you know, some people are like, I will drag my dad to the ballot box if need be. Um, I mean, is there a responsibility for us to not forget that there's an entire generation that can still have
3: a voice? I think that we need to remember that part of the mobilization plan, with every attempt at mobilizing a vote, there is an attempt to demobilize a vote. And if someone is not voting, there is an intention behind that. And so we need to see it as our own civic responsibility for those of us who can take on sort of the the, the cost of understanding these very complex processes of do I bring an ID? What counts as an ID? You know, do I, what time is the polling booth open? What time does it close? Where is it located? All of these costly political actions for those of us who can disseminate it. It is, its it is our duty to make sure that those around us have a right to exercise their voice, whatever their opinions may be, because that is integral to being part of a de- democratic citizen in this country. And I think that is our job, you know? And if they're not voting, know that there's an intention behind that. Just know that.
1: So we can. And cover on, it. And I'm just, just to add to that, too, it's like it's a two way relationship, right? Like you can't. I remember in, in twenty sixteen, so many folks was not voting, right? And they felt like none of the candidates reflected their values. And so it's a reminder that it's it's, you know, if I'm gonna I'm gonna give to this country by participating and being engaged, then there is an expectation for the relationship to to reflect back at me. And I think that as candidates, like I take it very seriously that no one should vote for me because I have a D next to my name. No one should vote for me because uh, you know, I I, I I'm a woman. Like you should vote for me because I'm working really hard to meet your needs and to reflect the values that we align on and to find common ground in moments of tension and to be kind to everyone. Because I I I hustle in the legislature to bring money back to the district or to fight fight back against bad bills and support good bills. Like those should be the reasons why someone is inspired to come out to vote because again, it's that two week relationship. I you just can't make assumptions about folks. And I think for many immigrant communities, there's been uh, you know, a feeling that my vote doesn't count or these folks don't care about me. And so we have to be really intentional, intentional as public servants to have their relationship be strong and have it be transformational, not transactional. And that is redefining public service in general in this country, let alone allowing it to be accessible to people who look like us and, 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 you know, honestly, so many members of my family, like, I remember being in the car with my great uncle going to a wedding in Utah. And uh, my sister and I, were, we we're both in college Democrats. We're very engaged politically already. And he told us to avoid everything politics. And it was really funny because we're, you know, we're back in the car. We're like, okay, oops, you know, <laughs> like, I already did that. But just that mentality. And I understand why. I mean, was already mentioned trauma, you know the and in Iran, you're getting politically engaged can be very dangerous. And so, I think that there's every person deserves to have the opportunity to be part of this incredible country. And it's up to all of us to inspire even folks of a different generation to also see the value in getting involved, see the value of of expressing themselves through this uh, through these platforms. And and I'm I take a lot of pride in even with the trolls, you know, on the internet, like trying to address them one-on-one. I mean, I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, like you're intentionally selecting these tweets and ignoring those tweets, you know? And it's such a joke, but at the same time, it's like, I'm not going to sit back and let people like perpetuate their own rumors, their own myths. Like this doesn't have to be a one-way thing. Like we can have a conversation about policy with Iran if you want to, right? And, And I'm happy to have that dialogue. And I think those type of efforts by the young generation to be open, to be thoughtful, to be kind, Will hopefully set a standard for future future generations as well of of what good policymaking and what good leaders look like and and, and and how we handle moments of tension.
2: And I think to, just to, to add to that, one other thing, you know, we, there are national elections. Yes, there's going to be people voting for the president, and, and, uh, and that's a big deal. And it's a big deal when you're voting for your governor or your senators. But gosh, if I could just stress one thing to our community, it's that local elections also matter. And I almost sometimes argue that it almost matters more in certain instances. What happens, well, who you elect to your school boards, to your city councils, to, you know, your judges, like there are so many different people out there that are that are local and who you elect to those positions uh, really can make a huge impact. I mean, there are certain things that as a city councilor, I will never be able to, to touch, you know, there's big national issues that just don't come to my desk and I don't get a vote on them, you know, but I do get a vote on, on a lot of the stuff that affects people's day-to-day lives. And, uh, I think that if, you know we have more civic engagement from our own community down ballot not just for the president but actually filling in all those other boxes doing your research on the measures and and you know different Levies and, and what whatnot. Uh, I think that's also going to be a, be a huge um, change maker for for really all communities. And and I do call on on local elected officials that are supposed to be nonpartisan positions to really uh, make sure they va- they understand the the significance of what they're doing. You know, I mean, it is a, it's a big deal when when you run for for office, whether it's you know in charge of the water district or fire board or whatever this is, um, this is a huge opportunity and you are, your decisions can impact the life of lives of thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And so I don't know if, if the average, you know, city councilor you know, across the country really, really understands the significance of what their role is, but I take it very, very seriously. So, uh, I, I do appreciate what was, what was said before. And I agree with, agree with everything. I mean, it's, um, it's our duty and it's our, and it's our one chance to have a voice, no matter how people vote, it's your one chance to speak up.
0: That was beautiful and powerful. And I think maybe Nazita will appreciate this a little bit, but I also think that, you know, for this, like, what were the Zoomers, the Gen Zers, uh, or even, you know, folks our age who maybe want to go back to school, uh, don't be afraid to study things like political science, and history. Uh, you know, I think that for me, you know, the reason I ended up going back to grad school and studying nuclear security is because the JCPOA, the Iran deal, which unfortunately the Trump administration has abandoned, but Joe Biden says would re-enter. Uh, you know, that really put into perspective that there are these conversations that are happening without us. And if we don't have the knowledge base, if we don't have the vocabulary we're not going to ever be at the table, as Anna had said. So don't be afraid to not, you know, you don't have to be an engineer. You don't have to be a doctor. Those are all phenomenal careers. But, you know, there's a role that learning can also play to make sure that we are heard. Um, so I don't know, Nazita, if you wanted to add anything to that.
3: Yeah, I, that was beautiful. And I think that's <laughs> that's so on point. And, you know, for for anyone who's out there who, if even if you're just a little kid right now listening to this in your parents' car to somebody who you know, has a family and is thinking, I want to make a difference. Like you role model, you can be a huge part of this conversation. This country, one of the most beautiful things about it is that it is available to us. We can be a part of it. We are active members and the reason we are so mobilized right now is because we're being told that we're not that's being taken away from us and we know that's not true this is what this whole wave of mobilization is about is that we know we belong and we are asserting our right to belong and and that's an amazing thing and I think you're absolutely right insofar as you know there are sensitive issues that affect our lives and our perspective is invaluable our lived experience is invaluable. We can serve as bridges and as these wonderful conduits of of communication and information. And I think that we need to be able to leverage that as a community. And it's one of the very many blessings that so many of us have is is that we were able to be raised in 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 this country, but with a very rich background and culture. And so, um, to anybody who's listening, you know, I just I want you to know. If you want to be a professor, go be a professor. If you want to if you want to go be a politician, go be a politician. If you want to go work in the state department, go work in the state department. Don't let anything seem too out of reach because it isn't.
0: I mean, I've got 3 badasses on a podcast with me, so you know, here, here are the people paving ways, the paving the way for everybody. Um, so before we wrap up, I just wanted to see if there's any final thoughts you wanted to share with our listeners. We have tens of thousands of NIAC members, so you've got the ear of some pretty engaged people already. I think my biggest thing is just
1: continue to be brave, you know, do, do what you can, the election cycle and others help support fellow Iranian Americans. You know, I, I do hope for a day where, um, our community is united over some basic values of peace and equity and justice for all. Um, I get really sad when I know just how divided we are um, on different issues. and I continue to maintain hope that we can find solidarity on on uh, not on on with the people of Iran and how we can support the people of Iran alongside Irani Americans and other communities of of, of marginalized experiences here in the United States, and so I continue to maintain that hope, and uh, will do my best to uphold those values everywhere I go. And so, to encourage our listeners to do the same.
2: One thing I would I would encourage uh, all the listeners to do is no matter what happens with the election, because none of us truly know where, where this will, where this will end, how it will end. You know, we have, we have no idea we can, you know, I don't really know about polls anymore. I mean, who knows, but I think no matter what the outcome is, we need to continue to stay motivated and mobilized because if Trump wins or if Biden wins, there is still so much work to be done. And let's not kid ourselves on that. I think that's the most important thing is that, you know, we, we can't take our, our, our foot off you know a gas. We are mobilizing right now. We're active. We're involved. We're showing that we belong. You know, we have to see the table and we belong here and we need to keep Keep pushing forward we cannot get complacent and we need to keep making sure that we are involved in that whether it's local statewide national we need to make sure that we keep working our hardest to make our voice heard and if we have if we can help unite our own community here at home that's how we can help unite our community abroad and i appreciate everyone listening today
3: yeah and if i can i can part and just say that you know all of us we belong in this place we belong in this country and you know, participating politically is the way a lot of us, uh, as researchers, politicians, policymakers, this is how we evaluate whether folks are, are 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 doing well, right? These are positive indicators, and I think that for our community, to to really have a say, but also to to see the the massive contributions that that, that we can make to this country, you know, we have to get out there, we have to participate. Um, And that really just sometimes this isn't going to resonate with a lot of the older people. So I'm really talking to everybody, but specifically at the younger generation, you know, um, we can we can we can change this. So I'm I'm looking forward to making sure that all of you have have voted on uh, November 3rd when we get the voter files back. It's fabulous. Uh, and just before we wrap up, I just wanted
0: to say that NIAC is having a big virtual get out the vote sort of election Mehmooni celebration, of course, virtual pandemic uh, on October 29th. Uh, I believe we're going to have David and Anna make some special appearances. There will be musical performances. Uh, We have Melissa Shashahi hosting. So it's going to be a lot of fun. I think, you know, it's a great hype-up event. You guys, you know, our community has done such outstanding work this year. I think it's a great time to come together and really reflect on how far we've come. But as David said, you know, this is not the end of a book this is you know we're november 4th is a new chapter in the same book uh and so yeah uh, make sure you guys if you're not already follow david anna and nazita on twitter and uh, if you guys have any questions for them make sure you can email you can email them to me and i'll forward it on to them podcast at thanks everybody thanks all
2: thank you
1: Bye.
0: Bye.